Hello, and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussion in Genesis chapter 45. That's right. Without further ado, scroll a better sheet, chapter 45. Yosef was not able to restrain himself. To all who were standing over him, he called, make every man leave from over me. No man stood with him as Yosef made himself experientially known to his brothers. He gave his voice in sobbing, Mitzrayim Shem'ad, the house of Pero Shem'ad. Yosef said to his brothers, I am Yosef. Does my father still live? His brothers were not able to answer him, for they were trembling from his presence. Yosef said to his brothers, Please draw near to me. They drew near. He said, I am Yosef, your brother. You sold me toward Mitzrayim. Now do not suffer. I would not have you burn with anger in your eyes because you sold me. Look here, for it was for raw life that God sent me to your faces. For these two years, the famine has been in the guts of the land. There are still five years in which there will be no plowing and harvesting. God sent me to your faces to place a reminder for you in the land and to cause life for you all a great liberation. Now it was not you who sent me, but look here, the gods have placed me to be a father to Pero and the lord of all his house and a ruler in all the land of Mitzrayim. Hurry, rise up to my father, say to him, This is like what your son Yosef says. God placed me as Lord to all of Mitzrayim. Descend to me and do not stand. You shall sit in a near land and you shall be close to me, you and your sons and the sons of your sons and your flocks and your herds and all that is to you. I will provide all things for you there for five further years of famine, lest you and your household and all that is to you be seized." Look here, your eyes and the eyes of my brother, Binyamin. See, his mouth is speaking to you. Declare to my father all of my heaviness in Mitzrayim and all that you have seen. You will hurry and cause my father to descend here. He fell on the neck of Binyamin, his brother. He sobbed. Binyamin sobbed upon his neck. He kissed all his brothers. He sobbed upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. All of this was Shem'ad in the house of Pero, saying, The brothers of Yosef have come. It was good in the eyes of Pero and the eyes of his servants. Pero said to Yosef, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your grazing ones. Walk. Come to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your household. Come to me. I would give you the good of the land of Mitzrayim. Eat of the fat of the land. You have been commanded. Do this. Take for yourself from the land of Mitzrayim carts for your toddlers and your women. Lift your father and come. I would not have your eye linger upon all your things, for the good of all the land of Mitzrayim is for you. The sons of Yisrael did so. Yosef gave carts to them upon the mouth of Pero. He gave them hunted foods for the path. To all of them, each man, he gave replacement dresses. To Binyamin, he gave 300 silver and five replacement dresses. To his father, he sent around this, 10 donkeys lifting the good things of Mitzrayim, then 10 patient donkeys lifting pure grain and bread and nourishing food for his father for the path. He sent his brothers. They walked. He said to them, Do not panic on the path. They ascended from Mitzrayim. They came to the land of Canaan to Yaakov, their father. They declared to him, saying, Yosef is still alive, for he is a ruler in all the land of Mitzrayim. His heart was numb, for he did not trust them. 
They told him all the words of Yosef that he had spoken to them. He saw the carts that Yosef had sent to carry him. The spirit of Yaakov, their father, lived. Yisrael said, Still it is much. Yosef, my son, lives. Oh, I would walk and see him before I die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I've split this up into two sections for today's episode. The first part is verses 1 through 15, and then we'll have verses 16 through 28. All right. So let's dive in. Um, there's a lot that happens in such a short number of verses. It's a nice little resolution to the growing dramatic tension we've been experiencing for a few weeks. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, we still got a couple of chapters left in Genesis, but in a big way, you know, this closes off a lot of the unresolved tension that's been between Yosef and his brothers. Simmering away. Simmering away. Um, and so let's start by looking at verse 1. Yosef was not able to restrain himself. So we've seen this kind of uh, occur in the first meeting where right. he was able to restrain himself. Right. But now with the introduction of Benjamin right. to the scene, that is no longer the case. Uh, and he sends everyone out. And you have here at the end of verse one, it says, as Yosef made himself experientially known to his brothers. Mm-hmm. So... I love this because, to me, this goes with the previous conversation we had around the garden analogy. <laughs> the never-ending garden analogy. The never-ending, but... Uh, Three lines <laughs> in the text. Yes, but okay, I, I've got a couple of things that I think really line up well. So, okay. And it starts with this. I always so, start skeptical and end quite satisfied. I know, I know. But we talked about it briefly in chapter 44. Okay, um, some of the garden parallel imagery between Yusuf and Adam. Mm. Uh, I pulled a lot from uh, David Foreman in that right. one. And uh, here, uh, these are just some of the things that I pulled out that I think are compelling. So experientially known right. is Yada. Right. And we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the tree. Right. Of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Right. In which, in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, The eyes of the two of them were opened, and they experientially knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves and made belts from themselves. So, um, oh, you're going to go with all the dresses? So I will. many dresses. I will, but not yet. Okay. Not yet. But all right. yes. I'll let you do it. We'll get there. That's, that's way down the line. So, um, we have this experiential knowledge that happens. Um, their eyes are opened to the fact that it's their brother. And in verse two, he gave his voice in sobbing, Mitzrayim Shemad, the house of Pero Shemad. And the fact that there's a Shemaing here mm -hmm. is also relevant because right. in verse eight of chapter three, it's the first mention, they Shema the they voice Shema of God the in the voice garden. Of God. So two yes. first mentions, the experiential knowledge, the Shemaing. Well, to be fair, there's a lot of first mentions in Genesis 1 through 3 because it's the first chapters of the text. Sure. But I'll still give it to you. These ones are back to back. Right. In verse 8, they shema the voice of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the wind of the day. And verse 3 in chapter 45, Yosef said to his brothers, I am Yosef, does my father still live? So there's this question that is presented in the garden 
the verse 9 is also a question presented. God calls out and says, where are you? And his brothers were not able to answer him, for they were trembling from his presence. In the Genesis chapter 3, who is trembling? Adam. Adam. Yeah, there is a trembling. So in the garden story, after those few things, what happens? Um, God gives them a curse, right. as we usually call it. There's consequences for right. their actions, and then There's they this are... big, long uh Think about the ground. Right. There's this big, long conversation about the penalties of the curse, the difficulty of work, right. um, all of the things that are going to change, and God's presenting all of this to them. Right. In this story, Yosef goes on this big, long exposition about yes things have been hard but here is rest here is restoration here Mm. is um invitation yeah and in a lot of ways a reversal of that course right Uh, curse while there's difficulty in the harvest god has prepared a special place for you in mitzrayim which is like a garden Mm. right um where there is provision it's a good place um and he's drawing them in and the purpose the intent And all of that is the preservation of their life, Mm. right? And if we look at the garden narrative, God is doing all that things and he's removing them from the garden because if he does not, what happens? I'll live eternally without redemption. Without redemption, yeah. So it seems to me like this here is a full circle arc back Mm. to that garden narrative. Okay, so what's the... What's the application? What's the meat in there? If those are the like the the framing, the structure around it, what's what's the author saying by pulling on all of those strengths? Yeah, I mean, so we, this is kind of drawing to a close in the story of the patriarchs, right? The mm-hmm. uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Right. We're um, gonna transition into. We're gonna transition <laughs> Exodus. And so, looking at the story of Genesis, this whole thing has been about God is being for you. God is going to bless you. God is going to keep you. God is going to make you, uh, God is going to do all of these things for you. Mm -hmm. And through all of the narrative, we see struggle after struggle, after struggle, after struggle, all starting from the curse and the removal from the garden, all ending in a blessing and a re-entering into the garden. So in a lot of ways, I feel like this is a compact version of the entire story of the text mm-hmm. um, that is being told. Um, and it all happens within this one book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice parallelism, a yeah. nice mirror um, that would make the exodus into another leaving of the garden. So that would mean if this is the parallelism of the beginning of the book and it's mirroring it for a reason, right? Not just to be pretty in a literary sense. That would mean that, like Yosef, we are invited to step into the role that God was in in the beginning, right? Now Yosef is standing in that role, and he's utilized, despite his story of oppression and abuse, he's utilized his resources, power, and privilege and opportunity um, to bless other people. And God has given him much favor for that. Um, And so I would guess then that as the story has set him up, we've had this conversation about who's the real Bukhor, right? 
So if we are called in the same path, right, as children of Avraham, um, then we are also invited to try to do these same things. And the author of the text is also saying that if we are met by the resilient um, peacemaking, which is extraordinarily difficult that Yehuda does, mm-hmm. then we can have wholeness of a family. Um, uh, I see God's promise in there too, in that he says, I'll provide all things for you there for five further years of famine, lest you and your household and all that is to you be seized. That word seized is the same from God's promise about, um, sometimes it uses other words of inheritance, but also in the promise, it says that you will seize things, take it mm. um, by force. Yeah, the other translations had a lot of language around becoming poor, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem to have the same guts to it. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interpretive move, like what would happen if all of your stuff got seized from you? Well, then you would be destitute. You know? Right, but I feel like there's something about seizure that's different than just Oops, I'm poor now. Right? right. There's a there's an outside force of causation that has more oppression and tragedy mm. to it than just I was, you know, unwise in managing my finances or whatever. Right. right? Poor becoming poor is just a, a much more open to interpretation. Right. Um, and to me, it doesn't fit as well with the narrative of you know empire and kingdom that God is you know, putting forth. Sure. Sure. Um, I don't always love that that word is in the promise because, um, you know, seizing something does have those implications. Um, and that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I like to be, you know, nonviolent and Mm, such. mm Um, but that's, there's always a paradox in the text and that's one of them. Um, he is certainly still acting as the Bukhor in this section um, in that he says, declare to my father all the heaviness, um, all of my heaviness. That's the same word for glory is heaviness. And I've opted for heaviness because I think glory is a Christianese word that's lost its, you know, its impact, its viscerality. Okay. So declare to my father all of my heaviness in Mitzrayim and all that you have seen. You will hurry and cause my father to descend here. So he uses the imperative case for declare to my father. So he's telling them what to do. And then he says, you will hurry and cause my father to descend. So he's very much still in charge. Um, The power dynamic doesn't switch back. Um, And I think that can be instructive for people, you know, who are negotiating boundaries or negotiating what it looks like to have a communication with um, people who, um, you know, they did not have a healthy relationship in the past with in the past. Um, And I think it's notable that when he meets them, he doesn't fall back into that like baby brother mode. He doesn't ask them to take care of him or Mm. whatever. Mm -hmm. He clearly establishes his authority and says, things are different now. This is the way it's going to be. Um, and then we have Falling on the Neck, which is from, ding, 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 what story? That is the Jacob and Esau story. That's right. Yep, the reunion. Proving my point. <laughs> that it all comes back to Twilight. <laughs> that, no, that it all comes back to who is the Bechor? What does it mean to carry out um, this calling of Avraham and who's the one doing it well, I think has been the point of this story. Um, and the text is arguing that it's Yosef. And so we have this 
recapitulation of that story. Uh, and also I see it on the, he gave them hunted things, right? They could have said right. they gave them food, yeah. they gave them yep. meat. He doesn't say that. He says he gave them hunted things. Right. Um, uh, I think it's interesting that it's Paro has enough affection for Yosef that he thinks this is great. Like Paro is operating from a worldview of abundance um, and doesn't say, you know, you're my family now. And so therefore you need to dump these losers who sold you. Um, you know, he's not concerned about extending out the wings of his hassle to take in these people. And I think that's cool. Say to your brothers, um, he, we have a little foreshadowing of the Exodus story and when he says load your grazing ones, mm. there's like a million words for the different pack animals, which makes sense because that was their life, right? Yeah, these right. animals. And so a hundred different words for different things. This one's a first mention. Um, and it's, I translated it grazing ones because that's probably what it's talking about. Um, but it's the same word used about the consuming fire in the burning bush story. Oh, um, okay. like, you know, an animal that just doesn't stop eating wherever it goes. Yeah. Just like yeah. the fire that doesn't stop consuming. So little foreshadowing there. Um, and provides good things. And Yosef gives them the things that Pedro gives him permission to, or Pedro's ideas anyway. Right. He gets some big Gladriel energy with give, <laughs> giving Benjamin something, giving his father something, giving his brothers something um and sends them off um we've had this ascended and descended motif throughout the story about it's always descend to Pero, descend to Pero, descend mm. to egypt to get the stuff um, and i think that is mirroring different mythological stories about going down to hell and coming back you know okay. um, and then ascending to come back out there's lots and lots of stories about different um deified figures or sometimes even human figures who have to go down into death for some reason and then they come back right persephone is the one that we tend to know right. because we know greek mythology over egyptian or akkadian mythology and hercules because we all watched the disney movie and hercules unless you weren't allowed to watch the disney movie because it was heretical and <laughs> pagan well i was <laughs> well, that must have been nice for you you know we just switched you got to see harry potter and i got to see hercules that's right between the two of us we're we're set okay um there's a did you run into the midrash about um about the female figure who uh convinces uh yaakov that the brothers are telling the truth i did not uh but that's fascinating yeah um so on the bema podcast it's in the i really go through it in the um, episode on the Samaritan woman. Okay. But there's this elderly woman who's listed in all of the genealogies. I say elderly because, you know, she would be like 600 years old if she had been alive at all the times that the text portrays her as being alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Midrash is that she's here. And there is this um, 
this moment because it says they tell him Yosef is still alive. He's the ruler in all the land of Mitzrayim, which ruler, by the way, that's Mashal, which is from Genesis. You're welcome. Um, and his heart was numb for he didn't trust them. And then it says they told him all the words of Yosef that he had spoken to them. He saw the carts that Yosef had sent to carry him and his spirit lived. So the Midrash is that there's a a moment in between the seeing and the not believing in which she sings to him. And because she's able to sing truth to him, he's able to receive that. Um, And it's a part of the power of singing that enables him to see what is true and to live. So that's always nice. Yeah. Good job. Um, Also, he saw the carts that Yosef had sent to carry him. That word carry, right, is the same for forgive right they've had this little Uh, echo of forgiveness this whole time right so he sees the forgiveness potentially he sees the forgiveness of his son that he let this that Yaakov should not have let this happen to him right Yaakov definitely failed in many ways creating the family environment in which uh his sons wanted to kill another one of their sons. And so when he sees that Yosef has forgiven him for this and sent him all these goodies, um, that's what causes his spirit to live. You know, we've talked a lot about the spirit and meaning and, and, and things like that. But the idea of this, you know, it says the spirit of Yaakov, their father, lived is almost like a resurrection in it's of itself right mm-hmm. it was dead and now it, it lives mm-hmm. um him coming out of his you know slumber so to speak yeah um, severe depression yeah and i find that application interesting the midrash does have this weird kind of similar thing with the spirit when yosef reveals himself mm-hmm. says that all the spirits of uh, the spirits of all his brothers flee and God has to restore their spirits to them, and then one. they live. No, just all at the same time, right? Oh, they, okay. This, their spirits leave. They can't say anything. It's almost like a. Uh, it seems like they're betraying. Like they die, mm. uh, and then God, through a miracle, brings their spirits back. And, okay. And they're able to uh, speak to Yosef. Interesting. I wonder if the point of that one is talking about God giving opportunity for redemption, because. Mm like a punitive um, capital punishment model would say like, well, you tried attempted murder. Yeah. So if you get killed seeing the, or you die seeing um, that you were not successful, that's on you, baby. Right. And so God's nurturing uh, character there, giving them their spirits back. When right. They've already yeah. departed. Yeah. Foreman pointed out in verse 15 uh, when it says that after that, his brothers talked with him, mm-hmm. the significance of that phrase, because kind of tagged on to the end right. there of that section. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go into detail of what they talked about. And so it, it's kind of one of those things where if you left it off, you wouldn't it notice. wouldn't change the story. You wouldn't notice. It would just flow into the next thing. Right. Uh, and so, you know, he does the proper thing of asking, why is that there then? And he points back to the beginning of the Yosef story uh, back in chapter 37 when uh, Yaakov is showing him this favoritism and is giving him these things. Uh Um, And he's, Yosef is being the immature young self that he is. Right. 
Uh, and in verse four, it says, and the brothers saw that it was he who their father loved among all his brothers and they hated him and could not speak to him. Oh, nice little redemption moment. Right. So we've come full circle, redemption, uh, reunited, right. Talking again. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that it was just a kind of like cinematic, the camera pans backward and right, you see and them all, all like talking <laughs> and eating, <laughs> bracing. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's really nice. Um, yeah, I think that maybe therefore the text is putting communication and talking as a sign of intimacy mm. and, um, and connection being kind of integral there. Um, one last thing I want to highlight, um, and Pero's graciousness here yeah, is, um, you know, in this household societal structure, uh, you have a patron, right? Patronage is right. one of the big models of everything, um, theologically in the ancient Near East, in my opinion, and the opinion of other uh, people with their PhDs. And um, I hear a note of Jesus and Pero extending his patronage to his, uh, Yosef's brothers because mm, he says, right. take your father and your household and come to me. And that come to me, of course, Jesus is quoting other things um, when he follows it up with, and I will give you rest. Um, but come to me, I'm going to give you all of this good in Mitzrayim. Eat the fat of the land. You have been commanded, do this. Um, take these things that are good, lift your father and come. Don't even worry about the stuff that you already have for the good of all the land of Mitzrayim is for you. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> don't know if you can hear my daughter's uh, exclamation. Oh, it definitely was picked up on the microphone. Oh, well, wonderful. Yeah. Everyone can hear her joyful squawking. Um, so Jesus, you know, similarly is says, come to me, yeah. all you who are weary and heavy right. laden, right? Um, and, and even, you know, through resurrection clothes us. Right. There's a, a whole bunch of parallels There's that we lot. can draw. Uh, clothed in power, he right. says in, uh, in Acts. So, um, but come to me and you'll be part of this new royal, ding, 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 royal household um, in which you will have everything you need because your patron is so good and wealthy and uh, provider, right? However, Jesus adds on to that, and I will give you rest, which, of course, in this story, everything starts out all wonderful and lovely, but then in the next section of the story, it's going to say, and a king rose in the land who did not remember Yosef. Right. Um, and so come to me, and not only will we hang out here, you know, and it'll be good for a while, right. but this isn't going to end in slavery. Mm. When you choose to follow the path of Jesus, you do receive all of the goodness of being part of his household when we take on his calling, but, but it doesn't end in slavery. It ends in rest. Right. Just a little bit of Jesus to spice up your weekend. You thought you were just going to listen about, uh, Yosef, but here we are. Here we are. 
Good stuff. Uh, oh, I would walk and see him before I die, Yisrael says. Did you note that uh, Yaakov gets his God-given name back finally? He does. He at the, yeah. had such a stodgy season of grumpiness and right. not doing what he's supposed to. And now here, when he finally um, has trust, right? Trust is at the heart of this story. His heart was numb for he didn't trust mm-hmm. them. And so when he does trust, he's back to Yisrael. Cool, cool things. True facts. Yeah, wonderful. Well, that closes off our chapter and our episode. So, if you have any questions, you can send them into textinus at gmail.com. We'll have a Q&A episode coming up here as right. we finish out the scroll of Bereshit. Very, very exciting. Um, so please send those our way. And if you're comfortable having them put on air, and if you're not, you can always put a little line in there saying, hey, I don't want this on the podcast. Right. Yep. But uh, again, pushing that new email address that we are using, us at gmail.com. That's right. Love to see you there. This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Genesis chapter 46. <laughs> Bye.